On Thursday, we celebrated the ascension of Jesus, one of the most theologically practical days in the history of the world, because this was the day that Jesus ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It means that he didn't sit down at a physical location, but that Jesus assumed his reign, his throne. That same Jesus who had walked and talked with his disciples was now in in control over all the world. It means he is with the entire world now in all his glory and all his might and all his power. Everything is in his control. We either forget about this most of the time or we take it for granted. But what about those disciples? You've got to imagine that for the ten days between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday, that those days were probably some of the most tense days of their life. They were stressful. Jesus had told them the Counselor, the Comforter, the third person of the Trinity who proceeds from the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, would come to them. And oh, by the way, people are going to try to murder you. He said to them in our gospel, the time is coming when anyone who murders you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. And now after the ascension, Jesus was gone, at least visibly. And they're supposed to do what? Wait around for the Holy Spirit? What in the world does that mean? I doubt they had an easy time waiting, just like we sometimes. But Ezekiel, who wrote our whole Old Testament lesson, about 600 years before Jesus was born, described what the Holy Spirit would do. Namely, that he would cleanse you from all your impurity and from all your filthy idols and remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. Through purifying water, the Holy Spirit would come to dead sinners and not only cause them to live, but to walk in newness of life. Now wait. The solution that Jesus promises, the comforter that Jesus promises, won't do anything to keep them from being murdered? The solution that Jesus promises is is an inward renewal, new life, new spiritual life? Yes. See, from God's perspective, the problem is not that you're going to die. The problem is that by nature we are already dead. God's solution is to give us a new heart through the Holy Spirit so that when you die, it's not eternal. In context, the prophet Ezekiel was writing a message to the tribe of Judah, one of the twelve tribes of Israel and the one through whom the Messiah would come. The people of Judah, just like the rest of the Israelites, time and time again, had turned to idols. They'd gotten tired of waiting for God, so they made their own. And what really did they do? They do what someone who got restless would naturally do. They followed their hearts. 
They followed their hearts, yet their hearts were made of stone, spiritually speaking. They were going after whatever made them happy. Although their heart was corrupt and dead, they trusted it. And what a warning for us today. We're living in a time when we are taught to follow our heart. If something feels uh, like it hurts or is judgmental, well, then it must be wrong. But it feels good and pleasant, it must be right. A high school of our fellowship right now is currently under fire because it wouldn't let a valedictorian endorse a specific type of adultery at a commencement address. Being taught to follow our heart and do whatever we want means that our heart becomes our God. And there's a related problem to this too. It's, it's one which comes from knowing the Holy Spirit, but not really knowing who he is or how he works. And this is why it's so important to have a right understanding of the Holy Spirit. So it's fairly common to hear pious, well-meaning Christians say, well, the Spirit led me to do this or that. The presumption is that whenever they come to a decision about something, that it must have been the Holy Spirit that guided them in their actions and their thoughts. And so you can have Christians say things like, the Spirit led me to this person, and the Spirit led me to move in with her, even though we aren't married yet. We just couldn't wait. Or the Spirit guided me to pick up those extra hours at work, even though it means missing the fellowship of God's saints. Or if you follow the news in Madison this week, the Spirit led me to open a church solely for the purpose of selling marijuana as a sacrament. It was a real thing, by the way. But really, this idea of the Holy Spirit is not, a Holy, not the Holy Spirit at all, but merely an echo of what their heart wanted to do anyway. They think that the Holy Spirit called them when really it was their own corrupt heart. Now, does the Holy Spirit guide you? Yes, he does. Ezekiel said, He will cause you to walk in God's statutes and you will carefully observe my ordinances. But the Holy Spirit isn't a voice inside of you telling you to do certain things. In fact, the Holy Spirit only ever speaks of one thing or rather, of one person. As Jesus said in our gospel, this is he who will testify about me. And really, this couldn't be better news. Because on earth, we will never get rid of our sinful nature, our hearts of stone. Until our resurrection and our ascension to be with Jesus, we are simultaneously saints and sinners. According to our sinful flesh, we cannot choose to walk in God's statutes or observe God's ordinances. And even if we wanted to, we couldn't do them. According to our sinful nature, that's how dead our heart is. Stone. And a stone can't do anything. But through the purifying water of baptism, God sprinkles us from our impurity and he makes us clean. 
He cleanses us from our filthy idols, our own idols of our own hearts, and he puts a new heart in us. Through the Holy Spirit's work in baptism, God puts Jesus' heart in. He raises a new man that not only can please God, but in the sight of God himself actually can't sin. We are saints covered by the works that Jesus has done. And it is this way because the Spirit testifies of Jesus. He doesn't testify of us. He doesn't tattle on us to God. He doesn't even tell us what to do. He testifies of the truth. And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Which means that the Spirit of truth testifies of Jesus, who is the truth. He speaks to God the Father and testifies of what Jesus has done that is counted to each one of us. Christians are those who are guided by the Holy Spirit and are those who listen to what God says in his word. And even though they are still sinners, nevertheless they are saints redeemed by Jesus. Now why is this such good news? Well, even if your heart hasn't lost its sense of guilt, even if it hasn't tried to use a false Holy Spirit to justify its actions, it will, along with the devil, probably try to condemn you. See, it works like this. The devil works together with your own sinful heart to make you doubt, to make you fear, to make you stress, to worry that, that God's not in control, and specifically of your eternal life. The devil and your heart say together, God can't love you. God will disown you. God said at your baptism that you were his child and that he was well pleased with you. Well, guess what? You've sinned. And because you sin, you profane God's name. God can't be pleased with you. If he is, God must be a liar because God said his name is holy and you've messed it up. So despair, give up, and leave God behind. Enter the Holy Spirit with the Word of God, reminding you of what your baptism actually did. The Holy Spirit not only testifies to the Father of what Jesus has done in your place, but also testifies to you of Jesus, to you and your terrified conscience. And he says, no, the devil and your heart are wrong. You are God's child. He placed your sins upon Jesus. He disowned Jesus in order to keep you. You are holy. God declared you to be holy. And God is well pleased with you. God loves you because he's given you a new heart and a new spirit. So God's word is proven true and his name is vindicated. It's holy. You haven't profaned his name because you are holy in Jesus. That's the truth that the spirit proclaims. No matter how dirty you feel because of your sin, no matter what you have done, the Spirit has cleansed you from all your impurity and from all your filthy idols. You are clean and you have a new heart. 
So now what? What about that whole waiting thing? What about that, that stress the disciples felt from those 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost? The uneasiness of waiting for God. And above all, the promise by Jesus that people wanted them murdered. The world hates the truth, and so it should come as no surprise that they and, and we are, are hated because of the truth. Are we supposed to believe that God is only concerned with my spiritual life and, and not at all about my physical life? Absolutely not. That's why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit after his ascension. Jesus' ascension should make us long to be with him, to realize that this life isn't all that great, nor ever will be great. The ascension in Jesus sitting at, at God's right hand means that Jesus has everything in control. But Jesus knows that we need help believing this. He knows that we need help. We need comfort because we get uneasy too. We too get tired of waiting. So no matter what that wait or uneasiness or stress is for you, whether it be the stress and not being able to plant your fields because of all the rain and, and not sure of when you'll be able to, to plant and have the crops come up, or the stress and not knowing as you go off to college or a new place what friends you'll have or what your life holds, or the uneasiness of having to wait to see a loved one again, it's for times like these that Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit, his comforter. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to you now through real, tangible means of his word, water, bread, and wine. Through these, the Holy Spirit testifies to you that God has already satisfied your greatest need. He is so concerned with your life now that he's giving you himself. So if you're exhausted from everything going on in your life, the Holy Spirit has the rest you really need. Because sometimes your heart can't even. The Holy Spirit gives you a new heart that doesn't need to. If you're so plagued with doubts and fears over your future or unworthiness or your sin, the Holy Spirit reminds you that you are clean because you are baptized into Christ. And so against the wisdom of the world, don't follow your heart. Remember that you have a new heart through the working of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.